All right. Well, good morning. My name is Eric Lenz, and it's great to be here with you today. I'm one of the volunteer staff here at Orchard Hill Church. Um, I'm a band director at Pete Junior High. Some of you know me that, in that capacity, uh, but I love to share God's truth, and uh, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to, to teach, and especially teach in this series. As the, the video said there, this is uh, full of truth after life-giving truth, vital information that really ha- that changes our lives. And the good news is, uh, if you're here today and you have a pulse and a heartbeat, uh, chances are you're probably going to be able to relate to Romans because it addresses everything human about us. This, this really, this internal struggle of like, I want to do good, but I mess up sometimes. I, I mean, you fill in the blank. You know, I tried to do something nice and then uh, I just went <clears throat> and made a mess of a situation. Or, you know, there's that person that I'm trying to be kind to, I don't really get along with, so I went and tried to do something kind to them and then I totally lost my temper and again ruined the situation. Or, you know, we really value family time and then Unfortunately, once again, we just go and completely sabotage it um, in spite of really wanting a close-knit family. Or, you know, we want to eat healthy and be healthy, and then all of a sudden we accidentally ate an entire chocolate cake because it was sitting out on the counter all day. It wasn't my fault it was sitting there. Uh, Hypothetical, of course. So, we, uh, we're looking at all of these like human things happening here. And Paul, he's the one that wrote the book of Romans. And I feel like he gets kind of this, this holy roller reputation because he's done so many amazing things. And he wrote most of the, the letters in the, in the New Testament here. But what we see is not just the theologian Paul or the pastor or the church planner or all of these other things. But what we see is the very human Paul. And we see him trying to reconcile what Christ has done for him with what he's living every day. The same struggle that we all deal with. So I want to set up Romans 8 with a little bit of what comes before that. So we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 7 verses 14 uh, through 25. And tell me if you can relate to this a little bit. So the trouble is not with the law for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me for I am all too human a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And in verse 18, it picks up, he says, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't do, or I, I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. I mean, you just like feel the tension inside of him here. And in verse 22, he says, I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I mean, geez, man, you just feel the struggle here with him. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So again, here's Paul trying to reconcile the spiritual truth of what's happening with what he's living every single day. And I think every one of us sitting in this room, if you're a human being and you're alive, you can relate to this struggle of wanting to do good, but then being pulled in the different direction. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying the solution to this is Jesus. Not just the solution to the symptoms, the sinful actions, but the solution to the source, the heart that's within us, is Jesus. But we need to be asking, why Jesus? Rather than taking for granted this, it can become kind of this Sunday school answer sometimes of, 
What's the answer? Jesus. Okay, let's go on to the next thing, right? No, but like, why Jesus? And that's what we're talking about. And that's really what we get to uh, in this chapter here. So now we're going to pick up in Romans 8 as he's kind of starting to unfold why Jesus is the solution to this and how it helps us live differently in light of this struggle, in light of the struggle that Paul's having and the light of the struggle that we have in our lives every single day. So in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. He says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is a pretty hard right turn here. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now, there's a lot in there. And there's a lot in there that can kind of derail us and kind of like, well, I don't even know what that means. Those are, like, that's a really big word. And <clears throat> it can kind of confuse us. Like, well, so what does that really mean for us? So I'd like to look at this in a way, use a visual to help us kind of understand what's going on here. So <clears throat> as if we could fit God in a jar, I don't, maybe this is starting off poorly as an example. Uh, this jar represents God, okay? He is, he is righteous and he is pure in, in every way. And God brought everything into being as it should be. And everything was perfect and it lived in harmony and unity with God. The guide rails of his love kept everything uh, as it should be. There was no sickness, there was no death, there was no hate and anger and injustice and all of these other things that are happening. But then as we pick up in verse 2 here, as we're trying to understand this, what does it mean to, that there's now no condemnation uh, for those who belong in Christ Jesus. Understanding like, well, why was there condemnation? Who was the condemnation from? What is the result of this? We see this, this interesting phrase that it says, <clears throat> the power of sin that leads to death. And I think we could all probably give great examples of what sin is because, well, quite frankly, we're all experts at it, okay? So this jar represents sin, okay? Now, we all mess up. There's this broken way of living within all of us. And it's these symptoms of, of hate and anger and, and backstabbing and selfishness and all of these other things that pollute the world around us, this broken way of living. But at the source of this, the source issue is this. We are trying to define ourselves as good apart from God rather than living by what he has done for us. And as we are trying to define ourselves as good with our little spiritual scorecards of good deeds versus bad deeds, as if this was like ever anything God told us to do, we try and balance out the scales. We try and prove ourselves that I'm good enough. And what does this do? It just breeds us more anger, more hate, more frustration, more selfishness, more hate towards ourselves, towards the people around us. And you name it, all of the problems that occur from this. It is a lose-lose game that we enter ourselves into and we have bought into it with our life savings and for some reason, we continue to do this. And so what does this do? It pollutes us, it stains us, and it marks us. And so it's a part of us. This struggle of trying to be defined as good by what we do, but we can't. And so as we go on in verse 3, it says, the law of Moses was unable to save us 
because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, here's, here's kind of what we do. So we, we see, you know, like what is good. This is what the law of Moses represents, uh, what is good in loving God and loving others, okay? And so what we, we say, well, I'm not good in comparison to that, so I better try and be better, right? Because that's what I need to do. So we take our little cup of good deeds in comparison. We say, well, God, look at this, though. Look at my church attendance. Wow. I volunteer so much time as if we're going to fix the core solution here. And like good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, like it doesn't matter. Like how many, this is not going to fix the problem. And, and so this is at the core of this. The law was not meant for us to fulfill because it could never bring about love. Only a sense of duty that would just immerse us in this lose-lose cycle of trying to be good enough and just breeding more frustration, more selfishness, and trying to prove ourselves to other people. And on and on and on the cycle goes. The law's purpose for us was to show us what sin was, to show us what was killing us. And to show us how we get rid of it, to show us that there's a need for a sacrifice, something to wash this away. And just like a doctor would do, point out the thing inside of us that's killing us and prescribe us the medication. And if you're into like extra reading this week, Romans 5, Romans 7, and Galatians 3 talk about the purpose of the law for us. And a few other places in scripture, but that'll get you started. But you see, the law was meant for Jesus to fulfill on our behalf. And this is littered all throughout Scripture. This is a beautiful story that we see written from the beginning to the end, that Jesus was really the one to fulfill the law on our behalf. And probably the most important place it's mentioned is from Jesus himself, himself when, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, where he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. So he's saying, I'm not coming to get rid of those things. I'm coming to fulfill them on your behalf so that... Verse 4, so that the just requirements of the law may be fully satisfied for us. Not fully satisfied from us. Not fully satisfied because of all the great things we've done and all the good deeds we've done. Not because of anything of us. This is a receiving verb here. Fully satisfied for us. You see, when we belong to Christ, there's this, we enter into this inseparable bond where all of our debts, all of the things, the trespasses, and everything in our lives, all of the injustices that have been done, what happens is we are mixed with Christ in this inseparable bond where his assets cancel out our debts. You see, he endured the consequences of sin so that we could be defined by his love rather than our inability to do good. Jesus endured the consequences of our sin, the full wrath of God on our behalf so that we could be permanently and infinitely and definitely defined by his love rather than our inability to do good. And what God does in this through Jesus is he's not scared of our sin. What he does is he chases us down into whatever dark places we've landed in. He kicks down whatever doors we feel locked behind and he frees us from those things and he washes us clean of those and he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he has forgiven us of those sins so that we may be seen as pure and blameless in the sight of God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done before us, before us, so that our lives may be defined by him. And the cool thing about this is that when our lives are defined by him and the Holy Spirit is within us, that it's not like we are situationally under his grace. That, oh, you know, like he forgave us of our sins, but, you know, if we mess up, then, uh-oh, 
wait a minute, it doesn't stain the water anymore. Because Jesus' love and his grace and his forgiveness, he covered all sin for all time. As it says in 1 Peter 3.18, Jesus died once for all sins. Past, present, and future, Jesus died for all sins for all time. But what's pretty cool about this story is it doesn't stop there because God knew that like a dog running back to its vomit to eat it again, we would just keep, sorry, that was a really gross analogy. (laughs) I'll work on that for second service maybe. Maybe not, I don't know. So he knew we would just keep running back to this pile of sinful remnants that live in us, these habits, right? And so what he did was he emptied sin of its power so that it could no longer have power over us, no longer define us, and so that we could be permanently and indefinitely defined by his love if we belong to him. Here's the thing, is that the cross was a sign of victory at the high point in the city, that he has overcome sin on our behalf, that he has defeated sin, that he has paid its price, and that that no sickness, no hate and anger will define us ever again. That we may experience, the when we belong to him, we may experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That when we are, feel entrenched in sin or in darkness or whatever it is, we have a place to turn, that there is a power and a force at work within us that is greater than us, that is greater than the power of sin because he has conquered it on our behalf. This is how God sees us. And this is important because once we understand fully the gravity of our sin, the brokenness within us, the dark things that reside in us, whether it's in thoughts or in actions, whatever the root cause of it is within all of us, myself and everyone in this room, when we fully understand that, it is then that we understand the undeserved love and the grace of God that he has shown us. And our lives then should reflect that undeserved love and grace for us. And we can celebrate the truth of Verse 1 that says, so now, so now, because of this, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Friends, this is good news. And this is life-changing news. But unfortunately, and I don't know why, we know this truth, we hear this truth. And then we live as though it weren't even true. I, I meet with a group of guys consistently, and I remember this summer we were, we were talking, and <clears throat> we meet together just to encourage each other and, and hold each other accountable and, and, uh, and share life together. And we were sitting there talking, and I remember what I was talking about. We were just kind of sorting through some things, and I just remember saying these words, you know, am I doing enough? And <laughs> my friend was sitting there, off to the right, one of the guys in the group, and he just, like there was this pause, and then he just laughed at me, just all out, just laughed at me. And I, I, I appreciate what he, what he did in that moment because I think that's exactly what God does to us. And I remember him saying, he's like, that's ridiculous that you would even ask that question, Eric. I mean, really. And, and help remind me of these truths. You see, I know these things. I know these deep in my heart, but sometimes I veer off course. It's kind of like... Um, when our kids were really, really little, my parents bought our kids one of those cool little power wheel things, right? I mean, who does not want one of those? And so I was teaching our kids to drive at the ripe old age of two. What could go wrong there? 
And so here we are cruising down the sidewalk, right? And they're just driving their Audi like, you know, they're big stuff. And I'm holding the steering wheel. I'll be like, okay, are you ready? I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. And then inevitably, every time I let go, it would just like veer off right into the ditch every single time, like right into the grass. And I feel like this is how it is. God's like, here's the truth. Here's the truth. You got it? Yeah, I got it. I got it. And then we're off in the ditch. Like every single time. I don't know why this happens to us. So here are a few areas where I feel like, we can apply this, um, and I, I really just have one application point, and I want to look at it in a few different areas. My, my one, applica- one application point is this, that we need to set our minds directionally towards these truths so we don't keep veering off in the ditch. We need to look at the habits we set up every single day. Like, there's a reason why we talk about praying and reading the Word, because life-giving fruit comes from this, because it reminds us of what's true about us. We don't go living under a completely different set of rules that we've made up, worshiping a version of God that may not even be true. So thinking about how do we set our minds directionally towards Him. And a good test of this would be thinking about what consumes your mind throughout the day. Like when you wake up in the morning, when you're driving in the car, when you're scrambling at work to get everything done, and then you have to go quickly to school to pick up your kids to get them to soccer practice and then get home and make dinner and then get them to bed and make sure they've done all the reading minutes and their homeworks, and then finally by 9 o'clock you get to sit down and take a deep breath. <gasps> then what do you think about, right? We can think about all of those things in the hustle and bustle of the day, but where is God in the middle of that? So here's a few areas where we tend to kind of end up in the ditch. First of all, how we see sin. We need to understand that we all struggle, that we all mess up. And contrary to what everything that Jesus has done for us, we still insist on keeping this spiritual scorecard of good deeds versus bad deeds. And if I keep track of as if we could even keep track of that, right, then maybe if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm going to get into heaven or, or something like that. It's like this is made up here. This is not what the Bible even talks about. And so, of course, we get defensive about our shortcomings and our sins and when we mess up. Because this is the old law. I'm defined by what I do. And when our mindset is set towards this, it just breeds that frustration and that anger and all of those other things that we don't want, this polluted version of life that was not intended to be that way. But listen here, Jesus is not turned away by our sins. He has always ran towards us. And he is waiting for us to set our minds toward him, towards his truth and his love and his grace. But let's be real, there's those remnants of sinful habits that we, for some reason, are tempted to entertain. And this is important here. When we mess up and you feel that, like, that conviction, that feeling in your gut, like when you know, like, oh, this isn't right. I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't be doing this. That is the pivotal point right there where God is offering to throw you a lifesaver. That feeling in your gut is God saying, come to me. He is calling you in that moment. If you're saying you've never heard God, I I would argue that point right there. Because in that conviction there, you're hearing him calling to you, come to me so that you may experience my forgiveness and my freedom so that you may go live in power. That is what he's saying in that moment. And it is a pivotal moment that as we are wrestling with this struggle inside of us, that we turn towards him. We receive his grace and his forgiveness. And in the church, we call this like repenting of these 
these things. We, it's just a redirection of our thoughts and our minds and our actions towards him and his truths. This is a critical thing. Rather than running back to the old way of thinking, the old law of I better try harder, I better do good enough, I better see if my good deeds can outweigh my bad deeds because I really made a mess of things. That's not what this is about. And when we do this, when we continue to find life and freedom in that truth and in his love and his forgiveness, sin slowly begins to lose its appeal and lose its attraction. So why would we want to turn back to that when we find so much life and freedom in this? And we just hunger for it even more. And maybe you're in a place where it's just like, I want to hunger for that. And I prayed that prayer before. God, just put a hunger in me. God, just make me just ravenous for you and your truth that I would have an appetite for those things and not all this other garbage. So where do you set your mind? What direction is your mind set when we think about these things? The second area is how we see God. You see, contrary to popular belief, this is a pretty common thing. Like, God is not a temperamental toddler waiting to strike us with lightning at our next misstep. I feel, I hear comments of this, like, this seems to be like the root understanding of who God is. I'm like, where did you get that from? Because it's not really what it's all about. Like, that's not who God is. God knows about our sin. He knew about it from the beginning. He knows everything. He's not surprised, okay? You could be like, God, this happened the other day. Or God, I just really want to hold on to bitterness and resentment. And he's like, all right, I'm not surprised. I knew about it, so let's just deal with it, right? Come experience my power and my presence. Like, this is, this is the God we serve, like in his unrelenting love towards us. And I can't tell you how many times in ministry, I can think clear back to college and the ministry I was involved in, there would be multiple times where I feel like, you know, I just didn't have, like, a, in my week, I just wasn't really disciplined in spending time in the Word or prayer or just felt like I totally screwed up or whatever it was. And then here we would come to time where we had ministry time. Sometimes just pray for people and lay hands on them and, and, uh, and bless them. And, I, you know, I would volunteer because, like, you know, I wanted to be faithful and just say, God, you know, here I am if you can use me. And time and time and time again, we would just experience an outpouring of God in those moments and and people's lives being changed by his truth, people being reconciled to God, people being finding restoration and wholeness. And every time in those moments, me, like I just hearing the voice of God, just hearing that whisper in my heart of, Eric, it's not about you. It's about what I've done for you. And folks, in this game, in this thing, in this game of life that we play, when we are followers of Jesus, everybody gets to play. Where do you set your mind in terms of how you see God? Because it, can, it changes our desires. And when we set these habits up, it just continues to drive us towards this source, this well of life. <clears throat> and finally, uh, an area we kind of end up in the ditch as we are driving our little power wheels um, through life here is how we see others. You know, I used to think uh, that I could love God and be bitter and resentful towards other people. 
Turns out that's not really the case here, okay? Uh, I remember when I was 17 and God like confronted that in me. And I read this quote and it just, it totally wrecked me in that, under, that, I don't know, that misconception that I had. And this was the quote. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Oh, yeah. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. That's a big pill to swallow. Now, that's derived from Matthew 25, verse 40 through 45. Like, that does have rooting in Scripture, and it's important for us to understand this because no condemnation from God does not excuse us from personal responsibility to the people around us. Our lives are marked by this relentless, undeserved love. When God loved us when we did not deserve it, when we were pushing away from him, when we were doing everything opposite of him, in disagreement with him, and God still pressed forward and pressed forward and pressed forward in his love. And our lives should then reflect that kind of love and grace and forgiveness to the people around us. And the thing we need to realize is that we all mess up sometimes. You know, sometimes we can just hide behind this hedge of, of bitterness and resentment, and really all it is is just, like, just choking the life out of us. When we find, what we will find in, we, when we enter into forgiveness and forgiving others is this freedom that we never thought was possible, and I know I did. And it does not excuse other people of their actions, but it releases us from the control of those things. But as you're sitting here today, there might be some things, too, that you realize, I need to go and try and reconcile. Because I've handled situations poorly. And that's what, God, that's what we're about here, is about restoration. And as we hold forth that light and that truth, nothing speaks the gospel more than seeking restoration in the areas we've messed up. So where do you set your mind? <clears throat> what direction do you set your mind in terms of where we, how we see others? Now, these are just a few areas where uh, we need to kind of shift the direction of where we set our mind, where we think, and what we're um, immersing our minds in uh, throughout the week. And my, my hope is that as you look at your week this week, that you'll set up time to, to read these truths, immerse yourself in, in just Romans 8. And I hope that we've given you a few tools here to maybe handle some of these things, to understand better what's going on. Read the entire book. Read just the, cha the chapter, Romans 8. Ask questions. Please write down your questions. Questions are good. And then chase them down. Don't give up on them because the answers are there. And find counsel, find somebody that can help you as you wrestle with those. And let's leave here today committed not just to leaving this message, this truth, this what the word says here up on the God shelf at church, to then just leave it there until we come back again next Sunday and like, well, let's pick that back up and see where we left off, okay? That's not what this is about. Let's take this message and this truth of what God has done for us and be committed to setting our minds directionally towards these truths so that we may find true life and true freedom in abundance because of what Christ has done for us. And let's continually set our minds in the direction of these truths. And just be thinking throughout the week, where do you set your mind? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. 
God, for the undeserved love that you've shown us. God, that while we were far away, that we were wallowing in the filth that we were in, God, you showed us love and grace and compassion. And God, I pray that you would let the reality and the fullness of that truth sink deep into our hearts, not just our minds, but Lord, into our hearts, that we may know it in the way we live and the way we speak every single day. God, that you would align our sights of who you are, God, with the truth of the word, so that we may know you as you are, because you are the one true God with an unrelenting love for us. God, may our lives reflect this to the people around us. God, you are good. And we love you. We praise your name.